Cairo Radio was paid a fee to air the following program. All information discussed on the following program is for general information purposes only and does not constitute legal advice or create an attorney-client relationship. Prior to acting on any legal matter, you should seek legal advice from a qualified legal attorney who can evaluate your situation and advise you accordingly. Welcome to Your Partner in Law on Seattle's Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH. Your Partner in Law is brought to you in part by the law firm Gregorick & Associates PLLC. Charting your course to a secure future. Your Partner in Law starts now. Here's your host, Rick Gregorick. Hey, good morning and welcome to Your Partner in Law. I'm attorney Rick Gregorick at the law firm of Gregorick & Associates and I have Scott Ralston in the studio, our Sunday morning office. Good morning, Rick. Hey, Scott. Um, Well... You know, here we go. It's uh, March Madness again. We got the basketball thing going, and the Pac uh, Pac twelve was pretty well represented in the Sweet Sixteen. And so far, I think we're all undefeated. So uh, go, uh, Gonzaga, go, go Gonzaga, go, go, go Huskies, and yep. we've got what Arizona in there, I think, mm-hmm. a few others. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, exciting! We uh, got to see Ichiro uh, retire. What a big deal that is for Seattle, I guess, and for Ichiro, and got to do it in Japan. That was kind of interesting. Hey, folks, you know. Uh, Boy, this last week uh, kind of put spring in the air, didn't it? Just a little tiny bit where, gee, we got warm and sunny. And, boy, after the snow a couple days before, it was really kind of nice. We've kind of settled back into maybe that. But, you know, now, now Scott, a large part of his practice is what we call family law. Ah, spring is in the air. Spring is in the air. So means the weddings are coming. That's right. The June weddings are underway and the wedding planners are scrambling about. Well, one of the things that many couples uh, need to consider um, prior to the nuptials is their finances. Now, Scott, you know, as a divorce attorney, family law, having done that for decades now, um, finances, money is certainly among the top two or three key issues in a marital dissolution. Yeah, there's, you know, in, you know, in the best of times and the worst of times, there are, uh, you know, a lot of factors that can go into what causes a couple to split? But one of the major factors is economics, the, the problems with money, uh, disagreements over money, disagreements over career and career decisions. Uh, all of those things can amount to uh, marital strife, problems in the marriage, and lead to couples splitting and heading in different directions. And, and, and Scott, and I remember from, from a few years ago, one of the worst economic decisions you can make during your lifetime, is to get into a protracted uh, marital divorce litigation situation. Oh, we can watch Hollywood for that. Yeah, I mean and, Hollywood and, is, is wonderful lessons on what not to do. But it's it, and of course it's it's all relative too. I mean, you know what what the people in Hollywood can spend on a divorce for attorneys may not really mean much to them, but what you know. The, the middle class can spend on, a, on attorneys in fighting over the, the dissolution, the split of assets, the split of liabilities, fighting over the children, fighting over maintenance, fighting over child support, all those things that go into the end of a marriage, especially an end of a marriage with kids. You know, as a middle class, upper middle class, lower middle class, working class – you know, for any of those classes, what you spend in attorney's fees can represent a significant percentage of your net worth. 
You know, that's true, Scott. I mean, I, we, we've seen cases where, golly, you know, in more modest estates, it's 50 plus percent of their estates sometimes. We see this in probate we, we fighting do. as well. When, we do. When people it's are very o- similar, actually. When, when people are fighting over personal assets and relationships are involved, whether it's parent-child, grandparent-child, you know, things, or grandchild, grandparent things, you know, family interrelationships, uh, spouses, uh, of course. And the property divisions can be, you know, really difficult. And one of the things that, you know, we've talked about on the show many, many, many times is the very large number of folks who have been married multiple times, which by extension means people are getting married older in life, maybe first time and maybe repeatedly. Um, Interesting dynamics, but people are bringing stuff to the marriage. And that's where these premarital agreements kind of come into play and all the mythology that we want to talk about today. Well, you can, you can see me over here kind of smiling and laughing. And, you know, you say there, there are individuals, you know, there's clients of ours that have come to our firm that have been married multiple times. What that also means is that they've been divorced multiple times. And therefore, they have gone through the dissolution process, which can be extremely, as I say, very costly. And what I tend to see, and I think it's a fairly normal uh, observation in the practice of family law, is that second marriages, third marriages, individuals are much more likely to get a premarital agreement than they are going into their first marriage. In other words, having that prior divorce or two was uh, kind of like getting a master's degree in what not to do. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think there's a couple factors. I mean, I can think of, of a few that are kind of obvious. Is One, the first marriage, you're usually, you know, early, mid-20s, late-20s. And, you know, you're coming to the marriage, you're just starting your career. More likely than not, you're, you're negative, in terms of your net worth. More likely than not, you've got that first car, which is a real you know stretch for you. You've got student loans, which is a real stretch for you. You're living close to, if not month to month. And you're not thinking about what it's going to be like 10, 15, 20 years down the road in terms of your net worth, in terms of what asset com- uh, composite you're going to have down the road. And so that first marriage, most individuals are not getting premarital agreements. Now, the ones that are getting premarital agreements for the first marriage, typically it's because they're coming to the marriage with family money. Yeah, I was was just thinking, you know, the biggest source would be an inheritance that someone would um, get and then enter into it and, you know, that would be maybe – the bulk, if not their entire estate, perhaps. Right. And and we've had a lot of situations where, you know, we've got that, let's call it early to mid-20 individual that's going to be getting married, and they are either already are a beneficiary of a trust fund of some form, or they will be a beneficiary of a trust fund and or an inheritance of some form down the road. And so it's their parents that encourage them to go ahead and consider getting the premarital agreement. And- that's the the more common situation for younger individuals to come to us to get a and to negotiate a premarital agreement. 
And then, of course, the other thing that's uh, happening in our region, which is somewhat regional, um, other there's a few other regions in the country similar, but you know the high tech industries where we do have these young folks with uh, making extraordinary amounts of money vis-a-vis their age, of course, um, and also getting large stock options yeah, it's stock and options, things yeah. of those mm-hmm. nature, which you know can become very substantial. These folks are younger. We see a little bit of resistance um, in this group uh, to doing any type of planning, but I think some of the more enlightened ones have started to do that, and hopefully we'll get some talk going that, you know, if you are one of these young folks and you have this um, wealth event very early in your life, um, you, you have to make an individual decision. Is it worth me protecting if my marriage doesn't work out? It's really that simple. Yeah, and and younger people, especially in that high-tech, high uh, net worth, high income, high income potential situation, are definitely ones that should consider a premarital agreement, and but they don't. And we're going to talk a little bit after the break about how this can become very important, what the components are, and give you a little bit of background information on how these things come about and how they work. All righty, folks, our phone lines are going to be open. I bet you have some questions about your upcoming nuptials and whether or not you might want to do a premarital. 888-973-5476. That'll get you right on air right now. 888-973-5476. We'll be right back. I have to tell you, what a relief for my wife and me when we got signed up for long-term care coverage. The more I learned about the fact that nearly three out of four of us will need some form of long-term care in our retirement, there are so many issues at play. For some people, they can't afford it and they become a burden on their friends and family. For others, you do have money set aside, but it wipes out everything that you've saved. And maybe most importantly, it's about having a plan so that all your children have to do is carry out your wishes. It's not a burden on them. And that's why I love the advice we got from Brian Ott and 525 Advisors. We started by going to one of Brian's free classes, and that's what I recommend you do to find out about all the different plans they offer. Brian does have a few classes coming up this month. Seats are limited, so sign up now at 525longtermcare.com. You'll get a free copy of Brian's book, too. Go to 525longtermcare.com, 525longtermcare.com. Hey, it's John Curley, and I'm here with Rick Gregorick, host of Your Partner in Law. You're listening to it right now. And Rick, after attending a few of your events, while well, I was just so impressed with how much I learned and the detail and the importance of all the information that you provide. Well, you know, John, thank you very much for that. You know exactly why we do this. We've talked a lot about it. My own personal experiences really put me into this business. And what I've learned over the years is through proper education, developing the proper life plan for you is absolutely crucial, regardless of your wealth or lack thereof. You need to have a life plan in place to protect you, your loved ones, and your assets in the event of your disability or following your death. You absolutely do, Rick. And hey, if you're interested in attending one of Rick's events, go to yourpartnerinlaw.com or just schedule a complimentary consultation with Rick and he'll take the time to go through everything with you and recommend the best plan for you and your family. Go to yourpartnerinlaw.com. That's yourpartnerinlaw.com. Retirement. What does it mean to you? Has it changed as a result of today's economy? Are you worried about your future? Could there be stormy seas ahead? Hi, this is Rick Gregrick, founder of Gregrick & Associates. We're a dedicated team of legal and tax professionals that can help you navigate your course for a secure future. 
Whether you're just thinking about your retirement or you're well into your retirement years, whether you're single, married, or involved in a domestic partnership, we can help you create your necessary legal and tax planning. I am so glad I found one firm that can help me with all my legal and tax needs. Call today for your free consultation. 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. You can also sign up for a partner-in-law event. Just go to yourpartnerinlaw.com and find the elder law or estate planning course that's best for you. You can register for both events by going to yourpartnerinlaw.com. Yourpartnerinlaw.com. Retirement. What does it mean to you? Has it changed as a result of today's economy? Are you worried about your future? Could there be stormy seas ahead? Hi, this is Rick Gregrick, founder of Gregrick & Associates. We're a dedicated team of legal and tax professionals that can help you navigate your course for a secure future. Whether you're just thinking about your retirement or you're well into your retirement years, whether you're single, married, or involved in a domestic partnership, we can help you create your necessary legal and tax planning. I am so glad I found one firm that can help me with all my legal and tax needs. Call today for your free consultation, 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. You can also sign up for a partner-in-law event. Just go to yourpartnerinlaw.com and find the elder law or estate planning course that's best for you. You can register for both events by going to yourpartnerinlaw.com, yourpartnerinlaw.com. Now back to Your Partner in Law with Rick Gregorick on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH. Welcome back to Your Partner in Law. This is Scott Ralston and Rick Gregorick live in studio. All right, we'll get to a little uh, white wedding there. White wedding. We're talking about premarital agreements. Pre- and post-marital agreements. Hey, I want to give the phone number out, though, for Scott at 888-973-5476. If you have some uh, questions, comments, concerns, you've heard that prenups, they don't work in Washington. They're not worth the paper they're written on. Call us and challenge us on that. We'd like to talk to you about it. We're going to be talking about what makes these things enforceable in the first place here in a second. But the other thing I wanted to do, just to make sure we're bringing this all together, folks, pre-marital agreements, and they they do work if they're done properly. Let's just put it that way. They work if they're done properly. Now, they do have to be proper. The court's pretty harsh on these, okay? Let's just state that. The court's pretty harsh on them. But one of the things I want to encourage each of you to do when you're getting married, and this advice really comes whether or not you have a premarital agreement. So if you do, I think it heightens the need, but I think you have the need anyhow. Many folks get married and they forget or you forget that you now need to have an estate plan recognizing your marriage and doing that. Now, maybe you had an old will or something like that. You need to update your documents or create new documents now recognizing your marriage. And this is an interesting place where we can weave in perhaps your premarital agreement, and that's something we wanted to talk about. But, Scott, here in Washington, as a community property state, basically a community property agreement is where the couples are agreeing to do something different than what the state says you've got to do with your property. I mean, in a nutshell. Yeah, with a premarital agreement. Right. So, so you know, g- going into what a community property state is. So Washington is one of, I believe, 11 states that is a community property state. And the law of community property is basically once you are married, that's your your magical start date, to the date that you separate, which is your magical end date, 
there is a community that exists. And basically what you acquire during that community in terms of both liabilities and assets is community property. And what you receive in terms of gifts what you during that, that community, what you receive in terms of inheritance uh, to yourself alone is also considered your separate property. And what you bring to the marriage is separate property. So you end up with all of these assets coming before the court, community property and separate property. Uh, and if you've you know lived in another state during the time period of your marriage, then the court will look to that state to determine what that asset is in terms of community or separate, and then it will have you know jurisdiction over it because it has jurisdiction over everything in the marriage, and it will divide the community property from another state and the separate property, and they call it you know quasi community property when it's brought to this state and before the court. So what happens is, is all the community property, all the separate property, comes before the court for division. There is a significant misconception um, and it's common you know I think in in all walks of life that separate property is your separate property and community property is just going to be divided by the court 50-50 okay that is not how it works what the court does is it looks to community property and community liabilities to see if it can achieve equity from the division of those assets and liabilities. That's kind of the rub, isn't it? Equity? Well, yeah, of course. Because that's a, equity, that's a subjective value it, rather it, than Exactly. Objective. An equity or equitable, equitable division, does not mean equal. Okay. The starting point for analysis is 50-50 of the community assets and the community liabilities. But that that is not the law. And that is one of the misconceptions. The other misconception is the separate property is somehow unreachable by the court to provide to the other spouse. That is also not true. And what the court will do is they will invade the separate property when they are unable to divide the separate property and the separate liabilities to the point where they actually can achieve what they deem to be equitable. And so they can go to separate property. And I I think extremes sometimes are a good way to demonstrate this. Let's say that a couple comes to the marriage and the marital estate is worth less than zero. They have a house that's upside down. They got lots and lots of credit cards. They got vehicles that are upside down. So, so they have a negative value. And let's say that the husband in this situation has inherited during the marriage a huge amount of money, millions of dollars. Okay, So the court is not under those circumstances, of course, depending on how long the marriage is and some other factors. But under my simple scenario, the court is not just going to divide liabilities and leave each of the couples with uh, a negative um, outcome from the community and then leave the husband with this huge amount of inheritance because in the court's eyes, that probably would not achieve equity. Yeah, Scott, we got to take a quick break here. Um, no, actually, we don't. No, we we're, got, we're good. I'm I off. I'm, I read the clock off. wrong. But so in putting these premarital agreements together, you know, I'm reading up in the Washington State's Family Law Handbook and even the state that, you know, are, you know, pub, you know, public document people can get. And they're stressing the need that this is a very complicated, comprehensive, technical legal document and that, you know, to be enforceable, this, you know, we don't have what we call 
a statutory scheme for enforcement of these agreements. In other words, there's no statute that says correct. There is a statute that says yeah. There is a statute that recognizes that they can they're valid exist. Now, but what's happened is through our court system, we have developed a test. And I guess we refer to it as the attorneys as kind of this two-pronged test relative to the potential enforceability of the agreement. Yeah. So let's let's go back in history a little bit before we get into the actual two-pronged test, which is the, the history of the two-pronged test and why it came into being. The classic examples of premarital agreements were these shotgun approaches. You would have the breadwinner, typically a fairly wealthy male, husband-to-be, coming to the relationship eve of the wedding with a contract that says, basically, if we get divorced, I get everything. And it was done in such a way that it really put the bride-to-be in a duress type of situation. And what happened is, is the courts decided, after seeing this many, many times in many, many jurisdictions, okay, this is not an unusual thing, um, the courts decided, okay, that's not fair. Okay, well, that's not that. going it, to be enforceable. They, they use language like, this contract was signed in the heat of passion yeah. and therefore unenforceable. Things that are done, you know, when you're so emotionally attached that, you know, you're, you're being held hostage or something. Say, here, sign this. We're not getting married this afternoon. So it's that emotional tie that goes in there. Exactly. And so, so they, they basically developed this body of case law that said, okay, we're going we're gonna to look at these things a lot more carefully and we're going to apply some principles to determine whether the contract is, in fact, enforceable. Because that's what a premarital agreement is. It is a contract. It's a very special contract. But it is, at the end of the day, a contract. And so what the courts did is they started with this two-prong test. And the two-prong test began with when the contract was entered into, is it fair on its face? So fair. Now, that's a pretty subjective term, right? So and, and many things in the law are subjective. We we use the term reasonable ad nauseum. Is it reasonable? And that's of course something that's debatable. But in, let's in this, talk about this, what is the court what does the court use, Scott? Well this to this fair this fair upon its face you know, basically my my interpretation of that is the only way that a court would necessarily find this contract to be fair upon its face when entered into is if it was actually a reflection of the law. That's that's my take on it. And the reason is is because otherwise, if it's something different than what the law is, I think that you're open to an attack that it is not fair on its face. That's been my basic thing that if – you know, I could say two people want to come in and they do a premarital agreement. Each of them come with a million dollars in assets. They each make $100,000 a year. They're each college graduated. <laughs> you know, they both have similar earning capacities. And they do a premarital simply to say what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. That one might be fair the, on its face. That's the second example that might be the, but the, the, the equivalency test I'll yeah. tell you, you know, for you. So skipping to the next part of the test because I, I don't think that – I mean I would never advise one of my clients to basically enter into a contract that's, quote, fair on its face and rely upon the enforceability of that because I don't know that I could ever advise a client whether the contract is fair upon its face unless it's basically just a complete mirror of Washington case, Scott, cases. To me, Scott, I yeah. think you're right. It has to be so, so close to that. And so this this test has evolved over time and there's been obviously lots of case law on it. And so when we get back from break, we'll I start want to talking talk about, about the that. Test. 
because these tests are important. And then how do you get these agreements done and how do you get around some of these issues? And then how do you integrate them into your estate plan? And so, folks, hey, if you have a uh, question, comment, concern, maybe you've got your wedding coming up and you'd like to talk about it and you kind of think that, oh, gee, it's kind of creepy to talk about money before marriage. Let me let you in on a secret. It's creepier to talk about it after you're married. <laughs> so uh, we want to go ahead and address those types of issues. So give us a call at 888-973-5476. 888 Your partner-in-law. We'll be right back. Sometimes big events in your life all of a sudden cause you to wake up and realize you should start planning for the future. I lost my dad a little over a year ago to cancer, and I remember thinking to myself, I should probably have a will or trust. So I called Rick Gregorick. Now, the reason I called Rick Gregorick is because I've been listening to him on Cairo Radio on Sunday mornings, and the guy is an absolute expert. I sat down with him. I explained my situation. He walked me through all the different variables, whether it was a trust or charitable trust, real estate, taxes. It was so complicated. I was so glad I had Rick right there to walk me through the whole process. So be proactive. Take control of your life right now. Go meet with Rick Gregorick and schedule a complimentary consultation at yourpartnerinlaw.com. You can also listen to Rick's show like I do, Your Partner in Law, every Sunday morning at 9 on Cairo and KTTH. Schedule a meeting with my estate planner, Rick Gregorick, at yourpartnerinlaw.com. That's yourpartnerinlaw.com. This is Michael Medved. Financial experts will tell you that you should have a plan in place for the high cost of long-term care. If your plan consists of using your savings to pay for any long-term care needs in the future, then take a moment to contact Contact 525 Advisors. 525 Advisors are the local long-term care experts. They will show you how to set up an asset-based plan using a portion of your existing savings. Now, this way you maintain control of your money and you're guaranteed to get your money back even if you don't need long-term care. For every dollar you put in today, 525 Advisors will show you how to get 3 to $4 back in tax-free long-term care protection. Call 525 Advisors today to learn how you can put a portion of your savings to work and protect your family and the rest of your assets from the high costs of long-term care. Call today at 425-748-8188. That's 425-748-8188 at 525longtermcare.com. That's 525longtermcare.com. Hey, it's John Curley and I'm here with Rick Gregorick. Rick, after attending a few of your events, one of the things that really stood out to me is how proper planning can really give you and your family and loved ones peace of mind. It really does, John. At Gregorick & Associates, we are a planning firm, and my personal life experiences are what led me into estate and elder law planning. I've learned that through education, individuals and families can significantly reduce their risk and anxieties. We all face the likelihood of disability during our lives. A proper legal life plan can give you control of your care and the management of your financial affairs, and most of all, peace of mind. Absolutely. The peace of mind, knowing that everything has been taken care of, is just so important. Schedule a complimentary consultation with Rick. He'll take the time to go through everything with you and recommend the best plan for you and your family. Go to yourpartnerinlaw.com. That's yourpartnerinlaw.com. Return to Your Partner in Law on Seattle's Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH with your host, Rick Gregorick. 
There we go. Well, there's a little more uh, more romantic music, I guess, that we call that. Louis Armstrong. That was uh, a request by Scott. Hey, folks, you know, it's difficult on the radio to talk about really complex subjects like premarital agreements. So I kind of want to refocus a little bit here. And so... So premarital agreements, Scott, when we're talking about them here in the state of Washington, they are enforceable when properly drafted and executed. And we started talking about in order to do these premarital agreements, it, the, 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 the courts in Washington have come up with a two-pronged test. And the first prong of that test is basically, is the agreement fair on its face? When entered into when entered into. And we kind of had a general discussion there that that's a really tough prong to meet if you're not almost mirroring community property. So really, the proof of the pudding, I guess, if we want to use it that way, is going to come in the second prong of the court's test, which is really is the procedure yeah, so fair. If it, fails the first test, if it fails the first test, which... My presumption, as I said before, is under most circumstances, a premarital agreement will fail the first test. The second test is is one of process as opposed to the document terms. The court is actually going to look to the process under which the agreement was negotiated and signed. And there are a few factors that go into that are, that are necessary factors. One is full disclosure. That's the starting point. You need to have full disclosure of all of your assets and all of your liabilities. And the reason being is that in order for someone to determine whether they will agree to a premarital agreement, they need to understand what it is that they are going to be giving up by signing that agreement. Right. And so we call this financial nudity, I suppose, <laughs> that when we're dis- you know, we're talking about everything that you have no secrets. In other words, complete financial and economic transparency. And this is going to be the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's not just your assets. But in today's world, you know, um, the disclosure of debts, obligations, liens, lawsuits, collections, lots of different things going on, other business interests. Too short a show to talk about all the dynamics that go into a premarital agreement for for the small business owner or a child who is going to be inheriting the family business. These are all really critical situations to take a look at. So when we're looking at this fairness prong, this um, a lot of people have some issues with that, but it really is each party gets down to all of the financial stuff and does that. Is that, is that in of itself enough? No, it is not. Part of the process, aside from just the full disclosure of all assets and liabilities, is also going to be negotiation. Is there a reasonable opportunity for the person on the other side to be able to negotiate? And is there a reasonable opportunity for that individual to be able to confer with counsel? Ah, confer with counsel. And the courts have done, you know, they don't do this that often where they talk about having attorneys involved. I mean, it's not a legal requirement that an attorney do the document. However, the courts do look at um, each party you know, I think part of the prong talks about them having at least the opportunity to reflect on the document and to seek out independent legal counsel to advise them and certify um, the document that they're going to be signing. Correct. And, you know, 
what we recommend, although this is not necessarily the law, but what we recommend, if we were going to be representing the advantaged spouse, the one that has the significant assets coming into the relationship, and the other side really doesn't have the ability to afford counsel even for the purposes of negotiation, we tell our clients that you must, must, that is not a mistake. You must pay for your uh, spouse-to-be to confer with counsel. Now, now I get a cap- lot of pushback on this. A little caveat <laughs> on that, Scott. If the person who is paying for the other person's legal fees, what they need to understand, the payor here, you're just a payor, and you don't have any That's right. relationship with that attorney by the fact that you paid them. You can't call them up and say, well, you got to tell me what my spouse or my fiancé is telling you because I'm paying you. So put that aside. You're just a funding mechanism. <laughs> well, and I get this. I get the pushback. Let me get this. But, 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 but are you kidding me? I'm going to have to pay for them to negotiate. That means I'm going to have to give up something. I'm like, most likely, yes. But do you want this agreement to be enforced. Is it kind of give a little, get a lot? And that is the bottom line, is is do you want the agreement to be enforceable? Because if you do not, as the advantaged spouse, provide the other side with that opportunity, then you leave that factor open for them to use to challenge the premarital agreement down the road. And I explain it to them. You know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road, let's say things don't work out. And, and they challenge that agreement. The, what you give up going into the relationship versus what you could potentially lose exiting the relationship without the agreement in place, that is a risk versus reward that people tend to understand that they need to abide by. And well, they take that advice. Well, Scott, one of the things that I think I hear so much in the estate planning area because, you know, boy, decade by decade, more and more and more of my elder clients, my folks as they're getting a few gray hairs and all those kind of things that get go along with age, they're kind of my age and older, um, when they marry later in life, one of the overriding goals and objectives that I'm told is, well, we want our stuff to be available to go to our kids. Yeah, and there's, this th- is quite a challenge sometimes in getting that put together with either a premarital, a postmarital, and then, apologize for the pun, but marrying those marital property agreements into your estate plan such that everything is consistent. Because, Scott, isn't one of the biggest problems with premarital agreements that people do them, they get married, they put them in the drawer and they forget about them, they go on and manage their life, and they're not necessarily adhering to the terms yeah. and conditions of the agreement. That's bad, right? So, so, so we've been talking a lot about you know premarital agreements, negotiating, getting established, and then once you get established – and what Rick says is is very true. What will happen oftentimes is people will they'll enter into these premarital agreements and they won't really abide by them. And my belief is it's not because they don't want to. It's because they didn't fully understand them. I think that that's a big part of the problem. And when when I work with a client on a premarital agreement, you know, first of all, we 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 do the initial draft, you know, we talk, we we talk about concepts, um, we put together the initial draft, 
And then we walk through the initial draft and we talk about, okay, situation number one. Okay, what happens if you buy a new house? Okay, well, here's how this agreement works with regard to houses. Okay, what about my 401k? Well, this is how the agreement works with regard to 401k. So, you know, all of these things are spelled out. My my premarital agreement is, is very involved. It's quite long, um, but it does really address almost any particular type of asset. It, it addresses estate planning. It addresses child support. Um, all of these things are addressed in the premarital, postmarital agreement. But one of the things that's important is not just the document, but it's understanding how the document itself works. And that's where, you know, we've got to bring in some legal counsel. We need to make sure you have the proper education on how do I title my assets to keep adherence to my agreement and things of that nature. It's just very, very important to do so because we really miss out on a lot of opportunities because we mistitle or improperly title our assets and that kind of messes us up in estate planning and probate right. and all, boy, and so, all over And the so place. when we get back from the break, what we're going to talk about now is we're going to shift from the negotiation of premarital and postmarital agreements and we're going to kind of shift into the second marriage and we're going to talk about the interplay between premarital, postmarital agreement and estate planning and the blended family, one of my favorite topics. So there's a few minutes left if you'd like to give us a call at 888-973-5476. Your partner-in-law will be right back. My dad would always say the three worst words in the English language were shoulda, coulda, and woulda. So many people with retirement right around the corner or in the middle of it have the shoulda, coulda, wouldas facing them. They're not proactive. You didn't take care of the will. You didn't take care of the trust. They didn't do what was needed to do when it came to real estate and taxes. So right now, let's avoid the shoulda, coulda, wouldas and call Rick Gregorick. Rick Gregorick is my estate planner. I sat down with Rick, explained my situation. He walked me through all the different variables, whether it was a trust or a charitable trust, real estate or taxes. It is so complicated. You've got to rely on an expert like Rick, who is so kind and knowledgeable about all of it. So be proactive. Take control of your life now. You can schedule a complimentary consultation at yourpartnerinlaw.com. You can also listen to Rick's show, Your Partner-in-Law, every Sunday morning at 9 on Cairo and KTTH. Your Partner-in-Law with Rick Gregrick, my estate planner, yourpartnerinlaw.com. I have to tell you, what a relief for my wife and me when we got signed up for long-term care coverage. The more I learned about the fact that nearly three out of four of us will need some form of long-term care in our retirement, there are so many issues that play. For some people, they can't afford it and they become a burden on their friends and family. For others, you do have money set aside, but it wipes out everything that you've saved. And maybe most importantly, it's about having a plan so that all your children have to do is carry out your wishes. It's not a burden on them. And that's why I love the advice we got from Brian Ott and 525 Advisors. We started by going to one of Brian's free classes, and that's what I recommend you do to find out about all the different plans they offer. Brian does have a few classes coming up this month. Seats are limited, so sign up now at 525longtermcare.com. You'll get a free copy of Brian's book. Too. Go to 525longtermcare.com, 525longtermcare.com. Have you ever wondered what would happen to you or your loved ones or your business if you were incapacitated tomorrow or if you died prematurely? None of us plan on it, but not addressing these issues can be catastrophic to your finances, your family, and your business. Hi, this is attorney Rick Gregory, host of your partner-in-law, right here on Cairo Radio every Sunday morning at 8. Elder or estate planning is necessary for all of us, regardless of our wealth or lack of wealth. 
So whether your estate is large or small, you simply must have a proper legal life plan in place to protect you, your loved ones, and your business. For your free estate or elder law planning consultation, give us a call today at 425-284-3450. At Gregor & Associates, my staff and I will take the time necessary to understand your needs and recommend the best plan for you and your family. Call us today at 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450 or go to yourpartnerinlaw.com. That's yourpartnerinlaw.com. Retirement. What does it mean to you? Has it changed as a result of today's economy? Are you worried about your future? Could there be stormy seas ahead? Hi, this is Rick Gregrick, founder of Gregrick & Associates. We're a dedicated team of legal and tax professionals that can help you navigate your course for a secure future. Whether you're just thinking about your retirement or you're well into your retirement years, whether you're single, married, or involved in a domestic partnership, we can help you create your necessary legal and tax planning. I am so glad I found one firm that can help me with all my legal and tax needs. Call today for your free consultation, 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. You can also sign up for a partner-in-law event. Just go to yourpartnerinlaw.com and find the elder law or estate planning course that's best for you. You can register for both events by going to yourpartnerinlaw.com. Yourpartnerinlaw.com. Now back to Your Partner in Law with Rick Gregorick on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH. All righty. Hey, welcome back. Hey, if you guys uh, are interested in getting married and you've entered into this uh, relationship, consider your finances, consider your futures, and if you've got stuff, good old George Carlin, if you've got stuff and you're entering into that marriage and you want to make sure if that marriage comes to an end, you still got your stuff, then you need to talk about a premarital. Now, I think there's lots of other reasons to talk about premarital agreements other than you know, just making sure mine is mine. But we can talk about asset protection. We can talk about actually protecting one spouse from the other in creditor situations and things of that nature. So they're they're not all, you know, I don't trust you with my money in that. And I think that's really not the issue for most of them if they're properly done. And I think people are getting proper counsel on doing so. And I mentioned a little earlier, but I just wanted to mention it again for those of you just tuning in. If if you are or have entered into a premarital agreement, a prenuptial, if you will, or possibly a postnuptial, it's critically important, in my humble opinion, that you incorporate that, recognize that document in your estate planning documents, whether that, well, your powers of attorney, your um, trust, if you're using trust, incorporated into your wills, because these are all areas that, you know, where these issues might arise as well. And especially, Scott, I wanted to talk a little bit about how the premarital agreement would interact with a aging couple and there is a disability that ensues and on the use of resources and assets, because typically in our blended family, if mom gets sick, it's mom's kids that are taking care of her, perhaps, um, vice versa for dad. So oftentimes we have the kids coming in to manage the affairs of the elderly parent when they become disabled. They're in a late in life marriage, and then the fireworks start. Yeah. And so what we had talked about earlier are the situations where that are more common for people to enter into pre or post marital agreements, and that is the second marriage. Okay. The second marriage oftentimes 
involves a blended family. You got a husband and wife that come to the marriage, and both of them have kids from a prior relationship. They may be adult kids, they may be minors. Doesn't really matter for the purposes of planning. But let's just say it's a, a couple that has minor children. Uh, they, they, the Brady Bunch situation, they go ahead, they do a premarital agreement, they get married, and years and years later, long after the kids are adults, um, one of them becomes disabled. One of them passes away. That is where the premarital agreement and the estate planning needs to interplay with each other. And it's one of the things that's really, really, really important because most individuals when they're going into that second marriage, they have a very different perspective. And their perspective is, yes, they want to be happily married. Yes, they want to build some form of a community. But they've been through a divorce before. They've been through the financial difficulties and the stress, the emotional stress of a divorce. And they want some level of uh, security. They want some level of knowing what is going to happen in the event that they do go through a second divorce. And oftentimes, what one of the biggest factors for them is they want to protect not only what they bring to the marriage and what they want to take from the marriage if there is a divorce, they want to protect their uh, their their assets for their children. Well, that's why I said that 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 is one of the number one goals and objectives for my you know, senior, more more elder, um, blended families. And, you know, we're talking about the children are in their 60s. So, I mean, we're, Co- correct. You know. I mean, you're and talking so, about, uh, you know, adult children and, and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So and so, so it, it is critically important. And I think when a premarital agreement is done properly and it's done through the consultative legal process rather than what I call the forms-driven legal process. Here, fill out this form. And I, I, well, I will just put a caveat, folks. You know I'm not a big fan of any type of forms for wills or trust or powers of attorney. I'm not a fan of those preprinted forms. And please do not use a preprinted prenuptial agreement. That The court's just not going to like that usually. These are documents that need to be so individualized. Down to Bobby Sue and Billy Bob, you got to. Yeah, they, you, they've got to be tailored. So these very things, specifically. The, you know, with premarital agreements are really, really, really. There's a lot of different ways to do them, and there is so much variation, and so many differences in what couples want, and and then there's all of what we talked about earlier is making it an enforceable contract to start with, and so you know, working with an attorney and having your spouse to be work with an attorney is strongly advised. Otherwise, you're asking for the potential that whatever it is that you agree to becomes unenforceable. You know, so it's really important. We talked about this two-pronged test for the premarital. Is it fair on its face? Generally not. Very tough to make. Then was the process or the procedure to arrive at the agreement fair? And we talked about did people have adequate time to reflect upon it? Do you have enough time to seek out independent legal counsel? Do you seek out that counsel? Does that counsel guide you? Um, does that attorney guide you and explain to you? And then does that attorney participate in the signing of that premarital agreement on a certification that they have discussed with you the community and separate property laws and the ramifications of the agreement to you? And Scott, when we meet all of those criteria, the courts seem to give it great deference. And, and this is an area you mentioned earlier where the courts have actually 
kind of encourage people, folks, this is technical, you need to see an attorney. Because yeah, I most think the law itself, it. the law itself, because it is, um, you know, the consequence of not abiding by the law is so severe that, you know, the court's you know, if you're going to have a premarital agreement, I would suspect they would say you really should be conferring with counsel. So, but anyways, back to the estate planning aspect of this is, you know, if you're sitting there today and you're getting ready for a marriage, you know, we do this show around this time of year, every year, we do a little show on premarital and postmarital agreements because we know people are getting ready for the summer. Summertime is the marriage time. Well, Scott, you like going to the weddings, right? I do. Yeah, you do. So uh, I like the food. Um, the The thing that is, you know, Something that people don't understand, you can also do a postmarital agreement. Let's say you guys have been married for, you know, five years, ten years, and you you, you always talked about these concepts. You're, you've always talked with your spouse. Well, I I want my four hundred one k to go to my kids. I you know, and you've talked about these things, but you 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 just you never did a premarital agreement. But now that you're getting you know older and you're you're more comfortable in the relationship, you're able to better talk about it. Now's the time then. You can do a postmarital agreement. You can do postmarital agreement with integrated estate planning. And you know, it's a great, great, great thing to do because you're avoiding what we often talk about on the show about these blended family conflicts that come down the pipeline. I mean, every week we're talking with people about blended family conflicts. And we talk about it on the show all the time. You know, this is something that is real. It is something that can be avoided through proper planning. And so, to, yeah. so you're, if you're in that relationship and you, you, you didn't do the premarital agreement, it's not too late. It really isn't. It's never too late to agree to a contractual terms and conditions. And when we talk about this, you know, kind of you've been married for a while and you're kind of want to making sure that, you know, how you're going to arrange your affairs. And, and that's what we do in an estate plan. We're figuring out how are you going to arrange your affairs and who's going to get what, when, where, why, and how. Well, if you have a prenup and you have not incorporated that into your wills or trust, um, I think you should review that with your attorney. If you have you know, got this premarital agreement and you want to make sure that it's carried out, then looking at your wills, your powers of attorney, and then your um, uh, trust, if you have a trust-based plan, it's really critical to marry those and put those together. And folks, we're going to have a workshop coming up here in about three weeks, three and a half weeks. You'll start hearing the ads next week. So it's going to be, uh, got a couple of them coming up. So I know we haven't had an event for a while, but um, we're back in our schedule now and we're going to be hitting that up so we've got a couple coming up here over the next three to six weeks so uh do check out the website yourpartnerinlaw.com and we'll um, see you out at the events we so much enjoy seeing you and if you need some help with that premarital or postmarital agreement give us a call for your absolutely free consultation thank you so much to listening to ktth and cairo every sunday morning at nine for your partner in law we're going to Go out and enjoy the rest of the day, and hopefully you're going to do the same. And um, hopefully we'll keep the Pac-10 in the Sweet 16 coming up here for basketball. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Your Partner in Law with Rick Gregorick. Event info, newsletters, and Your Partner in Law podcast can all be found at yourpartnerinlaw.com. To schedule an appointment with Rick Gregorick, 
Call 425-284-3450. That's 425-284-3450. For more information on the show or to sign up for a free Partner-in-Law event, visit yourpartnerinlaw.com. Tune in next Sunday morning at 9 to Your Partner-in-Law with your host, Rick Gregorick. Simulcast on Cairo Radio 97.3 FM and AM 770 KTTH.